Amen. Good morning, church. We have been studying through the letters of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And as we have, we have seen some themes that he, he doesn't really follow a straight structure. He'll talk about something, and then he'll talk about something else, and then go back to that first thing, and then go back to that second thing. And we're going to keep seeing that for the next few weeks. But this morning, we see a theme he hasn't really talked directly about yet. He's talked about the apostolic ministry, that the apostles were eyewitnesses to Jesus and his ministry and life and resurrection and ascension. And so that gives them the authority to speak and teach the church. Uh, We've seen how the gospel should transform God's people to where because God has loved us, we should love one another. But this morning in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27, we are starting to see like, oh, okay, this, this is informing some of the things that John's been talking about, that there are those who have come out of the church but have fundamentally changed the message that they used to be talking about, the doctrines, the theology, the beliefs they used to hold. Something has happened and they have changed, and now they are, they are talking in ways that go against what the apostles have taught as what is true doctrine, what is the message that Christ brought to his people, the, the, the truth that God has revealed. Our God is a God who speaks to his people, and he has taught us certain things. These teachers are teaching other things now. They're denying uh, either Jesus's humanity or divinity. They are denying the incarnation, saying that there is God, but, but human flesh is bad and sinful, and so God couldn't take on flesh. They fundamentally are against Christ. They are anti-Christ. And so we have that word antichrist several times in this passage. And we're going to see a contrast between those who are against Christ, antichrist, and those who have been anointed by God. Those who are anointed will abide in Christ. This whole book, and I pray my sermon this morning, will help with clarity. We are not trying to muddy the waters. We are trying to speak clearly and plainly that there are two teams. You are for Jesus or you are against Jesus. There's no in-between. Last week, Pastor Dan preached on the the passage just before this about not loving the world. And I think so helpfully he he taught, it's not don't love the world a little bit. It's, It's don't love the world. There's the world and then there's Jesus. There's Christ and his anointed who will abide in him. And then there's those who are anti-Christ. And so with that being our context, if you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. And let's read 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. 
but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. This is your word for not just the churches that John was writing to, but this is your word for your church today. We are your people. We are your anointed ones. I ask that you would help us to receive this teaching from you and that we would walk out of here more confidently this morning in our conversion with a deeper craving for the continued teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. For my outline this morning, instead of uh, point one, two, or three, I, I want us to look at some questions. This passage, I think the first time you read through it, it brings out a lot of questions. And so I have four questions that I will use as my points, and that's how we will walk through this passage. First, uh, if you have been a part of the church for around 20 years or so, even just among the church community, then you know that in the early 2000s, we got really into some eschatological fiction. And I went back and forth in studying because some of you have come to faith in the last few years and you don't know anything about the Left Behind series. And I don't want to spend too much time teaching you about the Left Behind series because you don't need to know about it. It's okay. We have, we have the Word of God that we're going to look at this morning. Um, but if you have been a part of the church, I don't know about you, but coming to this passage this week, there is something about seeing the word Antichrist that you're like, oh, oh no. That's the bad guy. <laughs> and I think that that is not helpful. After studying this passage, I'm less scared of the Antichrist, and that's a good thing. And so my first question, should I be worried about antichrists? Should I be worried about antichrists? My answer is yes and no. Let's start with the no. The antichrist, or as we see here, antichrists in verse 18, John says, as you, as you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. That figure or these figures are not some sort of supervillain boogeyman. 
They are simply a part of living in the last hour. He starts in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. Before Jesus came, there were many false messiahs. After Jesus, there are still false messiahs, but because Jesus has come, they are now only significant in their relationship to the Messiah, capital M, who has come and died, taking the penalty for sin and raising back to life. So these false teachers, these deceivers, these liars, we, we relate them to, to Jesus because he is the truth. He is the standard. And he has come. John says, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many, many Antichrists have come. So there is some sort of teaching that the church would have been familiar with about a, in, an end times figure that was like the final Antichrist. However, in studying this passage, something that I maybe have known before, but just was made freshly aware, John is the only one who uses the word Antichrist. And he just uses it here in this passage and then one time in 2 John. In the book of Revelation, there's the beast and the second beast. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul mentions the man of lawlessness. So perhaps there will be a final Antichrist. I think there is scripture that would point to that. Again, if we grew up in the church, though, in the past 20 years, uh, we don't need to put so much weight in that final figure. Because look how John corrects his, his audience. You have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. If you are so focused on trying to predict something in the future, you will miss the opportunity to protect the flock today. Jesus in Mark 13, 6 says, Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. Jesus taught his followers, yes, you need to be aware of this. But Jesus also teaches us that we don't need to be frightened of these figures. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. John echoes these things in his book here. Look back up to a couple passage, passages ago in, in John 2, verse 14. I am writing to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. There's that word again. And you have overcome the evil one. Look at a later passage in John, 1 John 4, 3 and 4. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You don't need to worry about Antichrists because we follow Christ. We have the source, we have the substance, and he is victorious over his enemies. But should we worry about antichrists? Well, no and yes. There is, there is a sense in which this is very serious, and we need to take it seriously. We are in the last hour still today. 
It's football season, to use that analogy. We're in the fourth quarter. The trophy's about to be presented. Stop playing as if you're in the first quarter. John is trying to clarify things for the church. These people, these teachers, these antichrists, came out of the church. Look at what it says in verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. His audience probably would have known and loved these people. And so it's understandable to to think of how that could be confusing. Wait, we used to be on the same page about things. I saw you be baptized. We took communion together. But something's changed. John is trying to clarify for his church that those who know Jesus remain with Jesus. They abide. Jesus' followers abide. A key attribute of the Antichrist is that they don't abide. What we see in this, in this one verse is a pretty powerful picture of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Sometimes doctrines come from many verses that we interpret and infer uh, holding different scriptures in light of other scriptures. That's good. We should do that for many doctrines that we, that we hold dearly. But sometimes there is a single verse that is crystal clear. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John writes, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. We don't need to fear the Antichrists or the final Antichrist. But we should examine our own doctrine, the doctrine of our brothers and sisters, because there are some who it's possible for them to be a part of the visible church, but not be a part of the invisible church. Does that make sense? There's a visible church, the church community. Anyone can walk through these doors and be in this building and be a part of the church community. But these antichrists went out and it was revealed that they were not a part of the invisible church. They were not a part of the body of Christ spiritually. And John wants his readers to be clear-eyed about these things. The best defense against getting scammed by something is to know it's coming. When I was a young boy, I was, like many young boys, very into magic and had some trick decks and different, different magic tricks. And there were some, especially like with the trick decks, that I could do a magic trick for you and really, really blow your mind. It was like stuff you'd see on TV of like, wow, how, how did... 10-year-old Timothy do that. But the thing was, if you wanted to see it again, I would decline because 
If I let you see it again, you would be looking for the trick and you would be able to see it because I was 10 years old and not a professional magician. <laughs> John is wanting to shine a spotlight on the trick, on the deception. Don't have your vision blurred from a former connection to these people. If you have a red flag going off in your mind of, I think that they're denying Jesus, they might be an antichrist. And so my next question, how can I know when someone is being antichrist? Well, you will know because of who you are and what you've been given. That's how. That's how you can know. Because of who you are and what you've been given. You are anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. That's what it says in verse 20. Let's, break, let's look at both of these, being anointed and having knowledge. Anointed, especially in, in scriptural context, is being set apart, chosen by God. Chosen by God for himself and for a purpose. In Leviticus 8, Aaron and his sons are being anointed for the office of priest. There is ceremony and instruction and following those instructions. They're washed. A coat is put on them and a sash that is skillfully woven with a band is, is put around them. They have a breast piece. There's jewels and stones. There's a turban and a crown, a golden plate. And it says in Leviticus 8, starting in verse 10, Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head to anoint him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with coats and tied sashes around their waist and bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. There is a connection in, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament of anointing being connected with the Holy Spirit. 1 Samuel 16, 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Isaiah 61, 1 is speaking in the voice of the suffering servant, and later in the New Testament, Jesus will read from the prophet Isaiah and say, this is me. This is, I am the one talking. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. In Acts 10, Peter is sharing the good news with the Gentiles. And he says, in Acts 10, 37, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. This is amazing because those passages I just read seem to fit with the big themes of scripture of the Old Testament being a, a kind of foreshadowing 
with the priests and the kings, that then Jesus is the substance. He's the one that the foreshadowing was pointing to. These men were set apart to be priests and kings, but Jesus is the one who is anointed. He is the Holy One. But this is, this is amazing. Look at 1 John 2.20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. You all have knowledge. These are not just facts like, oh, I could tell you, I could tell you right doctrine. It's facts and relationship. You've been anointed by the Holy One. You know Him. Something seems off about the Antichrists because you know Christ. In fact, the word Christ, this is amazing. I'm, this, this, there's so much cool stuff here. I always thought that Christ meant Messiah. End of, end of sentence. Like, oh, Christ, that, that means Messiah. It does. But do you know what Messiah means? It means anointed one. Christ was just the updated Greek. It, it means the anointed one. In the Greek, they didn't take the word Messiah and say Messiah. They said their own word, Christ, Christos, the anointed one. And I think that this helps us see the, the clarity that, that John is pointing us to. There are those who are anti-Christ, anti-Christos, anti-the anointed one. And then there are you all who have been chrisma, anointed, by the Holy One. The Lord has put your, His Spirit in you. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You have that knowledge. You know Jesus, and you know what He is like, and so you can discern when there is something that is not like Him. If you asked ChatGPT to write a little essay about Tim Kurtz's marriage, and then Catherine wrote a little essay about our marriage, I would be able to tell which one was the AI and which one was written by my wife because I know her and she knows me. So how can we know when someone is being antichrist? First of all, we can know because of who we are and what we've been given. But also, what do the antichrists actually teach? They deny Jesus. Antichrists are anti-Christ. Specifically, the incarnation and the Father and the Son. Look at verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. If you deny Jesus, you are denying God. There is no Yahweh without Jesus and vice versa. Again, it's not some future satanic boogeyman 
It's people who don't believe what Jesus said about himself and what he did. Charles Taze Russell in the late 1800s was a part of the church, but he started some Bible studies and a movement and gained followers and eventually started the Jehovah's Witnesses. Denying Jesus' divinity, fundamentally changing the word of God. Joseph Smith started within the church, but eventually wrote some other things. And the, the Mormon church denies Jesus' divinity. They're anti-Christ. There's those other religions that have come from, from those men and their followers. Another one that came to my mind in studying was Bart Ehrman. He's one of the leading atheist critics of, of Christianity today. He started in the church. He went to Moody and Wheaton. But eventually, through his studies, he decided that he just did not believe what the Bible said about Jesus. And now he's written books denying Jesus' divinity. It's amazing because he, of all people, uh, there are some things that he says that it feels like he's so close. <laughs> he actually argues that Jesus was a real man that lived. And of the New Testament writings, he says, I believe that these authors believed that Jesus rose from the dead. But he doesn't know Jesus. And at the end of the day, he has no faith. And so it's a stumbling block for him. He denies Jesus. That can be confusing. If you're a newer believer or if you have not been discipled in the church intentionally, you can look at cases like that and it can shake your faith. But John is writing to give clarity and to give confidence. And we can take confidence from what he says. My final question is, is there some special knowledge that God is withholding? When we hear of these people who were among us, but they went out and changed what they said, are they, are they onto something? Would God give his scripture, but then are, are we missing something? Look at verses 24 to 27. No, the answer is no. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. They're trying to deceive you. Have your eyes open. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. 
Now, is John saying you don't need anyone to teach you in the sense of like you don't need to learn things? Well, no, because that would undermine the point of him writing a letter to the churches. What he means is that you're not missing anything. Don't, don't worry that these people who have gone out from the church and then denied the, the Jesus they used to claim, don't worry that they, they found some secret knowledge and you just need to figure out what that is. You have everything you need because our God is a God who speaks. He has revealed himself to us through his word. And if you are in Christ, you have been anointed by him. You have been chosen and set apart. And praise the Lord, you will endure to the end. Because those who went out and changed what they said, they were never among us. But those who are in Christ abide to the end. The Holy Spirit is not a third of the Trinity. He is God. And there are different... Trinitarian theology, let me make sure I say the right thing. There are different things that the three persons of the Trinity do, and that's how we, one way that we see the persons in distinction. The Father is attributed with sort of the front end of the planning and the creation. Jesus is seen in the incarnation, the Son of God, accomplishing salvation through his death. The Holy Spirit is sometimes tricky because we can read a lot about the Father and the Son, but the Holy Spirit is attributed with kind of everything else getting us to the end, the consummation. The Holy Spirit is the one that is bringing us to that point. Think about Revelation. It says, the Spirit and the bride say, come. God himself dwells in us and he is transforming us day by day to look more like Jesus. The longer we abide in him, the more and more we are going to be able to see when someone does not match up with Jesus because the Spirit is making us look like him more and more all the time. So abide. Abide. I wrestled with kind of this final thrust of What's the, what's the application for us? How do we abide? Is it something that I'm exhorting you to actively do or is it more passive? Because it says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And I think that tension is appropriate because yes, it's both. There is an aspect that the Holy One has anointed you. You have been chosen and set apart. You have been placed on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. And so, abide. Pay close attention to your doctrine. We will never graduate beyond the fundamental tenets of our faith. John wanted his spiritual children to have confidence and clarity. There were some who had been a part of the church community but obviously never knew Jesus. He wanted to bolster his spiritual children's confidence in the completeness of God's saving work 
and the ongoing teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in Matthew 7, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Church, may we in the last days come through the other side of the storms of this life, standing on Jesus, and one day worship face to face with our Lord, having been brought there by the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we live in a time where I know at this church we take membership seriously and and conversion seriously and we want to hear testimonies and think rightly about our doctrine. I simply ask in the spirit of wanting to abide in what you have done that we would not take those things for granted. But help us to be more faithful to examine ourselves and one another. Help us to have spiritual conversations with one another where we don't just make small talk, but we would take the struggles of our everyday lives and we would connect them to spiritual realities that we would see ways in which our indwelling sin is being exposed and that we would remember our conversion that we were once dead in our sin, but God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive in Christ Jesus. May we exhort one another and correct one another and encourage one another. May we call one another to continue walking in the faith that we proclaim. Father, thank you for Ali's baptism this morning. I think of just how many times in the New Testament the, the writers appeal to people's baptism. Don't forget, you got in that water. You touched it. You went under it and you came back out. You proclaimed to the world that you belong to Christ, that you are a part of his church. Father, may we be more faithful to continue and Truly, may we rest in the work of your spirit to accomplish, to accomplish it and to bring us home one day. I ask all of this in the anointed one's name, Jesus. Amen.